Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Jarrah. That's Tajara to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then to Grace. Actually, it's Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right next time. It's my name. <laughs> One is my name. The other is not. <laughs> and uh, for today's episode, we are joined by our special guest, Carrie. Hi, everyone. Carrie, would you like to uh, introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners? Tell them about your history with Star Trek? I would love to. So yes, my name's Carrie, and I've been watching Star Trek my entire life. My mom introduced me when I was little, and my first Star Trek memory is looking up on top of my parents' fridge and seeing Mr. Spock on a on this old black and white TV, um, which we had in the late 80s, so we were a little behind in the times there. But um, yeah, it just uh, went from there. I grew up watching TNG, and I watched some of Voyager and Deep Space Nine, and I actually missed Enterprise during the first run. I was um, in college and busy doing other things, and I just recently watched it, and I really enjoyed it. So that's kind of where I am with my Star Trek viewing now, but it's always been a big part of my life. Carrie is also our blog's resident librarian and is currently running an awesome uh, reading challenge that is inspired by the character we're going to talk about today. So you should check it out on our blog. Yes, please do. That's right. We are talking about T'Pol today. We're going to talk T'Pol about T'Pol. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what you expected. I really don't. <laughs> wow. T'Pol up okay. in your business. I think that's my favorite title contender, though. T'Pol up in your business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but... Uh, before we get into that main topic, we just want to remind you that our show is currently entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. We love our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some awesome rewards from thanks on social media, up to silly watch-along commentaries, and recently some non-Trek podcast episodes. And anytime that we have our episodes edited early, we also try and do early releases for our patrons over there as well. So you can join us by visiting patreon.com slash women at warp. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And now that that's out of the way, it's been a long road. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I've sung along to that theme song so much this weekend. But yes, we're going to talk about the character of T'Pol today. Um, there are a lot of aspects we want to go through, some of her character development, some of her key arcs and episodes, definitely talk about the wardrobe, the fan reception, but I think it makes sense to start at the very beginning. A very good place the, to start. Yes. <laughs> um, with the, the casting of the character. So um, I think it's pretty well known, but maybe not that T'Pol was originally intended to be the younger version of T'Pau, who, of course, we know from um, Amok Time. Oh, that would have been so cool. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. At least we do get to meet her in the Kirshar arc. Mm -hmm. But um, according to the Star Trek communicator, uh, Brandon Braga said that the 
name was changed to avoid having to deal with the, quote, legal component of original series writer Theodore Sturgeon, who created T'Pau, and also because T'Pol was easier to pronounce. Sure. Okay. Sure. For a two-syllable name? I guess because there's a, a consonant at the end? Whatever. <laughs> well, it, it sounds less like kapow, as we discussed in our mock time episode, <laughs> which is just kind of sad to me, but it was, yeah, we'll just just go back to the mock time episode if you want to hear us uh, making a Vulcan name onomatopoeias. <laughs> so... Whenever we have this information, I find it really interesting, and that is the description on the audition call sheet. It never makes you feel very good once you've read it, does it? <laughs> no, my, I mean, my favorite is still the Beverly Crusher one, but we'll save that for a later episode. Um, <laughs> but the the description for T'Pol, or at that point, T'Pau, is late 20s, early 30s, Vulcan female, austere yet sensual. Oh, Lord. She's... Uh. <laughs> She's the science officer assigned to oversee humanity's progress on board the Enterprise. Although she's cautious and guarded around humans, whom she considers primitive and irrational, she's developed a grudging respect for Captain Archer. She'll become one of his most loyal and trusted crew members. They had to put in sensual. Of course they did. Right at the beginning, too. <laughs> because you can't describe a female character without including, but she's hot, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, the vast majority of the women principals in Star Trek writers' Bibles, yeah, like references there, how attractive they are in the first couple sentences. So mm -hmm. it's not totally shocking. Um, no, just disappointing. Yeah. And um, in the paperback edition of Broken Bow, and also I'm pretty sure I read a similar quote in the 50 Year Mission, um, Brandon Braga talks about how this was a difficult role to cast and says it took a lot of searching to find that actress who is at once striking and yet had an intelligence about her who also is a good actress. It's a hard combo for whatever reason, which is very similar to yeah. Rick Berman's comments on Dax uh, about like how it's impossible to find actresses that can convey both hotness and intelligence. Um, but um <sighs> Yeah, uh, so um, Jolene Blaylock was cast. Um, she cast attended the casting session with no makeup on, and um, they basically were not 100% sure about it. And then they watched some footage of other productions she had been in, and Rick Berman and others were persuaded that she would be right for the role. So that's in the uh, uh, audio commentary for the DVD Blu-ray. It's very important we note that she came in with no makeup on. How dare she? <laughs> like, that's very much how that feels to me. That is how it feels. And I, I've never heard them say that about any of the male characters. You know, anything, no. anything like that. We saw him without any makeup on. He, he wasn't even wearing, like, the weird blue Vulcan eyeshadow. Yeah. Patrick Stewart came in without a toupee. How dare Yeah, he? I was going to say that's the closest <laughs> thing with a male character that I'm aware of in Trek, where... They were like, oh, I don't know if this guy can be a captain because he doesn't have hair. Um, but, yeah, it certainly seems like, well, I don't know. She seems austere, but can she be sensual? And by sensual, Ugh. I mean what's hot to me as a straight <laughs> dude. <laughs> that is the benchmark for all sensuality. So they cast Jolene Blaylock, who herself describes to Paul often as cat-like. So that's also fun. I mean, 
it's not an she's in, not wrong in, insult cats are good we all like cats wonderful yes but i mean i i feel like in this context that means like slinky yes totally mm-hmm. and i've never heard a male character referred to as cat like in star no Trek. but like the the cat like aspects of to paul are more like disinterested in your bs yes. <laughs> Hmm. Like, that's the kind of cat, like, I'm looking for in a Vulcan. I can see her just getting bored and knocking a plant over. (laughs) (laughs) Just start knocking stuff off the conference table. Now I want to call her (laughs) T'Paw. One of us, one of us. (laughs) All right. So let's jump in. Um, I think it makes the most sense to go through this stuff chronologically as it aired so um her introduction broken bow uh jolene blaylock in an interview uh with star trek magazine said i'm the beginning of the vulcans this is laying the foundation so everything that i do needs to be fresh and new i need to create this out of originality and i want to create it for myself however she had also referenced that she was a fan of the original series and rewatched the entire run to draw inspiration from Leonard Nimoy's performance. So then we we meet her as our science officer in Broken Bow. Our science officer who gets threatened with physical violence a lot in that pilot. Just mm-hmm. by her boss. A lot. Yeah, that was a little unsettling. That is something I didn't really notice until the most recent viewing I had of it. It's like, oh, wow, he just... Says he's going to hit her or something a lot in the pilot. And and this is our main character? Okay, whatever you say. So we've got, especially in the early seasons of Enterprise, we've got humanity really, like, living and dealing with other species in space for one of the first times, if not the absolute first time. And you've got, on on Enterprise itself, you've got T'Pol, and you've got flocks who are pretty much diametrically opposed. Yeah, he's stoked right? to be there. He's excited by humans. <laughs> but because it seems anyway, or, and maybe it's exacerbated by the fact that they are so, so different, but it seems that, that flocks, even if the crew thinks he's weird, accepts him because he's exuberant and happy and excited. Yeah. But there's so much negativity put onto Paul. There's so much, why can't you enjoy this? Loosen up. Because women are supposed to be upbeat no matter what. And if you are not that, if you are austere, then you're you're seen as a downer. Or if a guy is, he's serious. If a woman is, she's just being a stick in the mud. It's this intersection of racism and sexism. Right? Yeah, like yeah. we've talked a bit before about how um, when characters get introduced, if the captain doesn't like them, that can make it hard for the audience to like them. I don't think that was the ca- case about T'Pol. Like, certainly T'Pol developed a fan following, um, I think, the same way any other character did. But um, that, you know, we start out right at the beginning hearing, like, Archer doesn't like Vulcans. Pretty much no one on the ship likes Vulcans. Hey, T'Pol, we're putting you on a ship where no one likes Vulcans. Why aren't you having a great time? Yeah, and I I don't actually necessarily have an issue with the, like, I I think that some of the politics around um, 
stuff we learn about the Vulcans is some of the most interesting stuff in Enterprise. Um, but it's more just that she's positioned um, in that group. And then basically, even though she's not really perpetuating the stuff that is the most problematic, people just keep pressuring her to be other than she is. And when I was first watching Enterprise, it seemed that like, instead of it being to Paul and flocks that were positioned as outsiders off the bat, it was actually to Paul and Hoshi because they're both the ones that don't want to be there or that have hesitation mm-hmm. about being there. So it was really challenging for me to get into season one. Um, thankfully, things get better, but that um, you start out with like, everyone feels like a happy club except the two women. Yeah, the two women are out of pl- are treated as out of place. Yeah, just seeing how it's an old boys club in a way with Trip um, and Archer, I'm kind of not surprised that Hoshi and uh, T'Pol had moments of not wanting to be there. Oh, I was going to ask, what was your first impression of T'Pol when you were watching Enterprise for the first time, Carrie? Uh, I- I'm embarrassed to admit that I-, I didn't really like her at first, but I also tried to remind myself that, you know, there is this internalized misogyny we have in our culture where uh, if a woman's not smiling or not friendly, then she's not likable. And I tried to keep that in the back of my head um, because I thought that was important. And, um, but I did, I did find it hard to like her. I think it had more to do with just how the Vulcans uh, were being presented, but my my view did change eventually. Um, I thought she was very interesting. She, seemed uh, to be the fact that she was not wanting that she really seemed as opposed to humans as the other Vulcans did, but then chose to go with Archer. I thought that was an interesting plot. Yeah. I still love the fact that in one of her first scenes with Archer, they have a conversation that basically is her saying, man, humans are weird and violent. And his response is basically, don't call me violent. I'll beat the crap out of you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh my god, dude. You guys dude, insulted no. my dad. I mm. This is not about to Paul, but like <laughs> <laughs> No, I just like Archer feels so entitled to get to command this warp 5 ship because his dad worked on the warp engines. Like that's not you, that's your dad. There's legacy and there's then there's straight up nepotism. Just, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what's what's interesting is, like I was, I was saying about, like, the Vulcan stuff and how we start to, you know, really quite early on in season one with, like, Shadows of Pajama and stuff, see these cracks in Vulcan perfection. Um, mm-hmm. What I think is one of the shortcomings of Enterprise is that largely it doesn't really probe, even though it presents many more inter- um, imperfections in the Federation than, say, in Voyager – they don't really directly, they don't grapple with that or like self-question as much with the possible exception of Dear Doctor. But there are like more of these issues, but they aren't like sitting around being like, huh, but what about the ethics of this all the time? Yeah, there really is this attitude pretty consistently of, well, self-doubt is for the others. We got a really great comment on Twitter uh, from Letitia who wrote, in outfit and type, she is a direct character descendant of Seven of Nine and is given an almost identical character arc. On the other hand, in contrast with Seven, T'Pol is, in human terms, an older woman in a young woman's body. 
That dynamic, along with the resentfulness of humans towards Vulcans, contributes to the racist and sexist treatment she receives in the initial seasons. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly not sure if the writers understood how to write a woman character who was stoic without making her a joke, like in the first seasons, or making her more like the overtly emotional woman characters they are accustomed to writing. That's a very good point. Well, should we like just spend a second, let's talk about the outfit and stuff? Um Sure. So regularly, when we ask about T'Pol, the question comes up, are cat suits logical? And often someone answers, as logical as high heels. Yeah. But <laughs> this is a, a great departure from what we have seen Vulcans wearing in the past. It's true. It definitely is the, well, this is our sexy Vulcan registered trademark. Um, and there is the fact that the rest of the crew is technically wearing jumpsuits also, but theirs are all utilitarian and they look like, you know, the kind you would wear if you were an astronaut. And hers looks impossible to get in and out of. So you always just find yourself wondering, what if she has to go to the bathroom? They're wearing flight suits and she's wearing a cat suit. Yeah. I was just going to, again, point out, um, I believe in the Andorian incident where she's really, really cold in her cat suit and Archer has to give her his coat. And that being an example of how I believe Vulcans would do better at equipping their officers with more functional outfits. That said, like, you know, want to be clear that the issue is not like people should be able to wear whatever they want, but it's the issue is is not that it like somehow makes her a worse character or like anti-feminist because she's wearing a cat suit, but that it's like out of step with who she's supposed to be as a character and the history of the people that we are familiar with. And even like the the history and the aesthetics of everything we've seen so far. So it just feels like there's like zero even attempt at an excuse for why this was a decision made not necessarily in line with the interests of the character, but like in line with the interests of the writers and who they perceive the target audience to be, which is to say mm-hmm. teenage straight boys. I think that's a really great point, Jara. And these discussions about what characters wear, it, it's a hard line, I think, sometimes because for me to discuss these things anyway, because I worry, am I slut shaming this person for wearing an outfit like a cat suit? Or is this, you know, is this a valid criticism? And I think like what you said, this wasn't really in line with who she was. So I think it's definitely an important thing to talk about. Um, yeah, she never, those outfits never looked comfortable. No. And according to Memory Alpha, T'Pol had 49 different outfits. Really? Throughout the run of Enterprise. I yes. mean, there are some, she has some cool away, away mission outfits and stuff. Although some of them are also yeah, I mean, this is a little silly. Everything she's ever worn. Wow. Um, but friend of the show, Annika, Annika Dane, um, does a lot of like what she calls fashion projects where she writes about what different characters wear. And she noted that even to Paul's casual clothing includes pajama like outfits in no less than seven colors, uh, four of which were separates that show off her midriff. Mm-hmm. And she appears naked in five episodes and in her skivvies in six. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There was definitely a reason for T'Pol. I mean, I guess if I had to pick just like off the top of my head, like memorable T'Pol looks that I didn't mind. Um, I think when she's like going undercover, like in, I think, Carpenter Street, and she's got like the leather jacket and stuff. Um, I feel like she looked a little bit more badass when she was 
pretending to be someone else, I guess. Um, and then I seem to recall in the episode Marauders, which is has sort of some cool to Paul martial arts stuff. Um, she, though, is like in this desert outfit that's like all white um, with heels, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that said, um, I still was like, huh, okay, well, at least it's functional and it's like you know better than wearing an all black outfit i guess in the desert but like all the federation people are wearing sort of like dust colored outfits anyway right well even when um when she sort of steps away from from vulcan high command and gets a starfleet commission she continues to wear this like cat suit Her juicy couture looking jumpsuits mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and and they, it adds the the patches the science division piping and the the commission patches and the rank bar they add to this costume but it's still not in line with what the rest of the crew is wearing even if she has a starfleet commission and uh, you know thinking back to next generation when troy decides to take the bridge officer's test she starts wearing the the standard uniform when she has the full rank of commander Yes. Uh, have you heard that quote where she said that before she was the chick and then she put on the suit and then she was the brain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because um, T'Pol's like super, super smart. So in some ways that is kind of cool because it does kind of challenge our conceptions or, you know, the conceptions of the creators of the show that you can't marry hotness and intelligence. Um, but... It also still doesn't challenge the idea that women on these shows need to be like meet some standard of like super thin, busty beauty. Well, also, can I point this one thing out that I noticed also when I was rewatching uh, Broken Bow, and that is the first time we see T'Pol when she's with other Vulcans, she's wearing the robes. She looks very traditional Vulcan, oh, but then right. when she's on the Enterprise, she's wearing the cat suit. And I think that that's funny that the immediate jump from, okay, you are among the Vulcans, you are Vulcan, and no, to this is you being Vulcan amongst the humans. That really kind of draws into perspective visually this idea that if you are going to be the other, you should be the sexy other. Mm. And that is the most acceptable way for a woman to be the other. Right. And only the woman, though, because Flox wasn't. Yes. Flox is basically just wearing his jammy jams all the time. And he, he's a doctor. He's wearing know, he's guys, Dr. The, jammy jams. That, the, Except that, for that <laughs> episode when he walked around naked. Uh, <laughs> that was really weird. <laughs> so wait, do we have a Flox nudity count to rival to Paul's nudity count? <laughs> Not offhand. Yeah, sorry. One, two. Yeah. <laughs> Get on it, Internet. I would put money down, though, that they were lit very differently. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Also, just as soon as the first decon scene comes up and you're it, watching Broken Bow, you're just like, oh, here we here we go. Yeah. Moving a little bit farther. Well, we OK, so we talked a, l- a little bit about the relationship with Archer. Do we think they were trying to to mimic the original series here? Uh, To an extent, yeah. I feel like when you have a character that's introduced sort of as the exotified beauty, as the hot one, TM, of the group, um, there's kind of a level of them needing to have a level of sexual chemistry with every other male character. Does anyone else, like, feel that in ensemble Mm -hmm. shows? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. 
and definitely because he's the he's the captain, he's got to be super virile and all that jazz. So were you meaning, Sue, like, were they trying to copy Kirk and Spock? Were they trying to copy Kirk and Spock? Were they trying to recreate any kind of dynamic with, with T'Pol, Archer, and Trip, maybe, and Kirk, Spock, McCoy? I've heard people comparing them a lot. I don't know if they were trying to do that, but I've heard a lot of comparisons between the two uh, trios. So I think the the issue with like with the comparisons is the same issue we had like with Pulaski and Data, right? Where Spock could give it back, right? He understood the jabs; he could jab right back. And with you know, when Pulaski spoke to Data, she was punching down. When when they're when when the crew of Enterprise is sort of like picking on T'Pol, they're also in a in a social way punching down. Like she's much more intelligent than them. But they're ganging up on and her when in the same way. At a private dinner with uh with Trip and the captain, it's two guys ganging up on the one woman in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction about the dynamic because, um, yeah, I mean, like Spock is technically, um, you know, a lower rank than Kirk, but usually it's like only Kirk or McCoy that's teasing, and the other one is kind of like, oh, come on, or just laughing along. But it does mm-hmm. feel like ganging up in a few episodes, to me at least, especially in the first couple of seasons. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely felt that right away, too. There was definitely a feeling of them ganging up on her. And um, I I always felt for her. And as an introvert, I also felt for her. I, it seemed like they and everyone else, they were always trying to get her out to go out and socialize and go to these movies she didn't want to go to. And, you know, I... Like her, I, w- I thought, you know, she should just be able to go read her book or um, have that alone time. So I think there was a lot of pressure on her to, from them to do things she wasn't interested in. There's this nonstop sort of uh, idea in media that introverted people just need to be fixed and made extroverted. And that always bothers me. Yes. Yeah, they just need and to that, break that out shows of their up shell. Her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, nah, some, sometimes the shell is there for a reason. The shell is where we're good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, and- like, there's almost a bit of, um, there's also a bit of, like, kind of nerd shaming. So, um, and oh, actually yeah. kind of almost, like, shaming her for how smart she is. Like, there's the episode with um, the one, oh, a cogenitor, actually, where um, she's like, oh, we could, like, go see this really fascinating stellar phenomenon. And, and then it's like, or we could go do this other really way more fun thing that also seems way stupider. Um, <laughs> so there's a couple episodes like that where they're almost like, boring. Why would we want to survey stellar phenomenon? As phenomena? And you're like, that is like the bread and butter of what they say the other crews are doing all the time. Uh-huh. Um, so you're, I guess- You hang out in space. You should be getting really into this stuff. Yeah. And like, it's not like, if you look at who goes into space today, there are a bunch of people who don't like science. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do you keep trying to convince us that it's these cool jocks hanging out in space, you guys? <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. It's going to be a ton of nerds up there. It'll be awesome, all the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens in, in Strange New World as well, yeah. right? Yeah. It's also unfortunate because it just makes me like it rem- makes me remember because I actually feel like part of the reason I reacted poorly to Enterprise on first watching was because like I saw parts of myself into Paul of like that feeling of being introverted and a bit isolated and 
wanting to go read my book and not go see the movie with these bros. Um, and uh, then, like, feeling like she wasn't super fairly treated. And, um, you know, she, like, it makes me remember when I was in high school and I used to be, like, really upset and I would come home, like, and tell my mom like I don't like everyone else has a boyfriend or girlfriend and um, my mom would be like oh well they're just intimidated because you're smart and I just like wanted to not be smart and it just made me really mad because I'm like it's messed up that we're still sending these messages that like you know if in order to be liked you have to like not share your intelligence as a woman yeah if someone's advice to you um to get along with other people more so is to suppress an intrinsic part of your personality. It's not very good advice. Just, just saying. <laughs> There's also really like very few attempts by them to try to understand her or like yeah. what, what might be good about Vulcan society. It's like, it's very much an attitude of you're in human territory now, Missy. Yeah. Right. You have to do it our way now. Yeah. Eat your breadstick. <laughs> you're in human town. Eat your meat. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Vegetarian shaming, too. <laughs> yeah, anyway. we, we get a surprising amount of that with T'Pol. It's just like, guys, be cool. Yeah, did sorry, anyone I... ever do that with Chakotay? Or like, were there other vegetarians on the shows? Um, you, I mean, like, I the d- other Vulcans were. But I yeah. feel like in Voyager and the other shows, they really, like take it as a given that there's this delight in diversity so you will have neelix being like i made you this special amazing food that's just how your culture likes it and it's terrible but it's all coming from this place of i tried i want to meet you halfway here um Mm -hmm. and i want to learn from you as much as you can learn from me and we definitely have Picard going off on that whole, or we don't ever eat actual meat in Starfleet, it's all replicated. And <laughs> So they've definitely kind of at least gotten a little cooler about it by the time TNG rolls around, or at least are acting less like, whoa there, hippie McTree hug. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, Enterprise wanted to show us, right, the beginnings of the Federation, or whatever. But they put this big emphasis on the Vulcans are holding the humans back and there's all this resentment and there's not a lot of trust. I love and that they're it, referring to it as the Vulcans holding them back when they're like, you're not right. giving us information that could help us. And it's like, we're, we are waiting for you to figure it out on your own. That's not holding right. them back necessarily. That's Just because you've achieved warp drive doesn't mean you automatically get all of the scientific advancement. You're not entitled to the scientific advancement of the rest of the universe, dude. Right. But anyway, (laughs) I mean, just, just the fact that that is what we're told the relationships between these two societies are lays the groundwork for the characters butting heads all the time. Well, at, and that's just intrinsic in the way they built the show. That's not, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I don't disagree with building in some potential for conflict. Like, there's a lot of discussion about how Voyager could have done better if they wouldn't have resolved the Maquis situation on in episode two. Um, <laughs> but um, it's when you combine it with the fact that she's the only one. It's not like half their crew are Vulcans or a third of their crew are Vulcans, and that she's one of the very few women that it adds these extra layers of power dynamics that make it kind of icky. 
But we we sort of got off the topic of like to Paul and Archer because it does go beyond like the. Yeah. It feels like their rep- uh, their character interaction is supposed to be representative of uh, the Federation getting on better terms with Vulcan as the Vulcans as equals and not so much as a sort of symbiotic culture who's like, hey, look what I did. Please let me into your space club. <laughs> well, even though she is our, our representative Vulcan, and right there, the symbolism of, of her and Archer clashing is supposed to mirror, you know, humans and Vulcans clashing. A lot of T'Pol's storylines have her challenging Vulcan norms mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways or dealing with with different issues. Um and as we go through them, I just want to start this part off with another comment we got from Twitter. Uh, this one's from Lori, who wrote, They seem to want to use her as a vessel for issues, AIDS allegory, addiction, sexual assault, survival, repressed memories, rather than have her be an organic character. I'm not saying the issues above aren't worth discussing, but the way Enterprise handles it was so ham-fisted that it reflected badly on her, which is a shame. That's an interesting take on that. Hmm. And I think there's definitely something something in that i don't know if i agree really um well i don't know that i think she came out negatively i think Hmm. um like we did an episode on fusion and stigma and Mm -hmm. um while you know we definitely had some quibbles with it i think that episode's called two about to paul if you're looking for it um that episode 21 yeah i just listened to it actually it's a good um i think that overall it was, you know, it was sympathetic to her. And, um, if, and like at the end, well, I think that the stigma is less successful. I think that fusion actually provides some of the men on the crew, like an opportunity to show allyship. Um, not saying that like I want to see the women characters assaulted more, but I think that the way that it was handled is actually one of the better handlings of like sexual assault allegories in all of Star Trek. Definitely and agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Totally agree. But I do also think that T'Pol is used as the vehicle for a lot of very special conversations throughout Enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that there is probably something to be taken from that. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. Um, with with Stigma, that episode, um, that one really struck me with how she didn't want to share her story. And I... I didn't really care for the episode, but I also thought it was, I think it's a very important one though, because there's some important discussions to be had around it, especially uh, the, the topic of survivors sharing their stories and making the decision whether or not to share your story of assault. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that episode to not be perfect, but I think it's an important one. Yeah. And I think um, that, you know, one of my common threads looking at T'Pol stuff is that I like what she does. Like, I, I actually like her in that episode a lot. I love, um, you know, the the thoughtfulness that she exemplifies and, you know, realizing that this is an issue that goes beyond her. And she ultimately, like, forces a pretty powerful conclusion, even though Archer is being kind of Mickey Mouse and annoying in that episode, I think that oh, it shows some really so much in that episode. Yeah, but it shows some really like powerful positive traits from her in terms of her resilience and um 
empathy and yeah, and thoughtfulness, I guess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did not like how he or any of the other men handled the situation, just watching her to share her story, share her story. And Archer to his credit, I guess he, he did kind of back off a little bit, but when, um, I don't remember the Vulcan doctor's name, but when he told everyone that it wasn't her fault, he basically just, like you said in the episode, he just outed her without without her consent, and that just wasn't cool at all. You know, victims don't owe us their stories. So that was kind of upsetting. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the um, other sort of the, the point about, um, I guess, positive traits, um we had an article on our blog by Brianna Fern called The Logical Loyalty of T'Pol. And um, in her view, it was really positive that T'Pol was very resolutely loyal and really like sacrifices a lot during the course of the show um, in loyalty to mostly like the crew of Enterprise and Archer. Um for me, it's a little bit challenging because I don't know that they deserve it because I'm very Ravenclaw and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, like, they don't deserve your loyalty. Get another, like, moral code that makes more sense with this. Um, but, um, but I mean, as, like, a Star Trek character, those are some of the types of traits that we really value on other shows. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Although, back to the Archer relationship, because <laughs> this also, we talked about this in the Archer's Love Interest episode. <laughs> um, the episode where he's, like, old and she's taking care of him. I can't can't with that. <laughs> uh, Twilight, was that it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Too loyal. Too loyal, guys. There's loyalty, and then there's, God, she's not your mom, Archer. I'm not sure if they just really didn't know what to do with her or if they wanted to show this character evolving over time because we get this, you know, potential future Chapal who has stayed with Archer and takes care of him and has, has sort of softened over the years. But we also see in her history an episode like The Seventh where she's basically a Vulcan assassin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also just say that that episode kind of comes out of nowhere. I kind of love it, though, because it's like, yeah. oh, dimension. All of a sudden, dimension. Like, I wish there was, I wish it didn't come out of nowhere. But, like, <laughs> there's a, a bunch of episodes that she gets over time, that, like, actually build this picture. But it's like they are consciously doing it in these chunks instead of, you know, systematically doing it over the course of her character development. I know. I just, um, I feel like we see a lot whenever there's a, there's the differentiation between a strong female character and then there's a quote-unquote strong female character. Mm -hmm. And it felt like this leans a little more towards the latter of the two. The fact that they're like, oh yeah, also uh, Paul can kick ass. She's a badass. We just didn't mention it. Feels like that happens a lot with nerdy lady characters who are also supposed to be eye candy. They, they have to have some kind of physical or sexy background. Did all of you like the the episode the seventh? I personally was not fond of it, but I, I think I just found it to be kind of upsetting with um, 
What was the name of the Vulcan she was trying to find? I can't remember. It's Melor, I want to say. Yeah, like just all the gaslighting. Yeah, that was that. Mm-hmm. Was... Yeah, it's it'd be more accurate to say I love that there was an additional really like significant piece of development, not necessarily how they handled the episode. Because I I think another thing that's interesting is ultimately it's just another way of kind of villainizing the Vulcans and mm-hmm. letting Archer and and co feel smug. And there's less consideration to, to Paul and like what this says about her that she engaged in this and more about like still kind of painting her at the end of the day as a victim because the Vulcans um, treated uh, like, you know, mind wiped her and then gaslit her. Um, so there's definitely some interesting components there um but i think it, it could have been more interesting if it was like she's actually knowingly been keeping this secret maybe she was justified yeah. but like what does this say about her there's a dimension to be taken that wasn't taken yeah. from what i've read about this episode they wanted to you know play on the fact that the vulcan lifespan is so much longer than the human lifespan and um Braga said something to the effect of what if she used to be a La Femme Nikita type character? Because of course he did. Um, but he also said, which I actually think is interesting, we wanted to get under her skin a little bit and deal with issues she doesn't normally have to deal with, like guilt. Femme Nikita, maybe not the best backstory to inject into your character. What I, I would have liked to see would be La Femme a la Kira. Like, you find out that she's committed this murder... <laughs> And that maybe it was justified and she has some guilt about it and, like, her friends start to realize this and it just, like, makes her a more complex character going forward, like, in DS9. Although, does anyone else, (laughs) as soon as Manos actually shows up, go, oh my god, Senator Kelly? (laughs) We are pretty far into this episode already, uh, but I do want to make sure that we hit the Kirshar arc a bit, that we hit um, the Trellium D story and we, of course, have to talk about Trip Tucker. Oh, yes. So where would you like to go first? Ooh, we could talk about Trip, I guess, because that's a big part of her life. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people ship the two of them. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I, you know, when they first showed the two of them together in Broken Bow, I just thought, oh, no. Um, I've never really liked it when two characters are brought together by having all that friction. Um, it just seems so unoriginal to me. But at all of you think. It is a little bit of a tired trope, the opposites attract thing, but I feel like they make it work with these two characters, actually. Um, we've had two really interesting articles on our blog by Janet Lee about uh, T'Pol and Trip, um, because um, definitely we've talked on the show, most of us have not been fans of that couple. And uh, Janet is a really long-term uh, trip to Paul Shipper and has really put in some thought into, you know, maybe some of the gender double standards too of why the, um, why to Paul tends to be judged kind of harshly. Um, for example, like we, we really see this kind of narrative in the fandom of like, you know, he, he's like this emotional man that won over the ice queen kind of thing, but she's kind of demonized for, um, her, you know, unwillingness to be more forthcoming in her emotions and her, like, sort of stringing him along through her, like, arranged marriage and all that stuff. Um, but it's, in fact, quite complicated. 
and some of the traits that we see in her as like or that some people see in her as um you know being standoffish or proud um janet's like oh is she just like a female mr darcy and why aren't we you know looking at it more like that um and you know realizing that there's more to these characters yeah i suppose that's a fair point um yeah uh one of the last episodes I watched, yeah. I can't remember which one it was, but it was when Trip had transferred back from Columbia and he was trying to get her to admit that she cared for him. And that just really annoyed me because he went away because he was, he was sad about her and he should have been the one to have said, oh, oh, I love you and I want to be with you and that's why I left. But instead he made it about her having to tell him like it was all her fault that he left, even though he chose to mm-hmm. leave. So that yeah. that didn't sit well. Right. Yes. Way to put the onus on someone else, man. That was man. definitely a dynamic that rubbed me really the wrong way, that I still feel like a lot of the stuff was about still trying to get her to change and not about him being more emotionally open. Like, he certainly shows emotions, but it seems like in their communications, there's a lot of him still needing to, like, be right I think just with with the two of them, the way there was, he was always trying to change her. If that had been taken out of their relationship, if they'd had, if he'd accepted her for who she was, and he hadn't been constantly trying to change her, I think I would have appreciated the two of them as a couple more. Yeah, that's definitely kind of a major detractor in their relationship. Yeah, for me, that I think that really is the detractor. Um, that and I don't know. I just the way they brought them together, the way the writers brought them together, just never really worked for me. It didn't feel natural. So what? You weren't a fan of the neuro pressure massage storyline? <laughs> <laughs> it just I, it didn't feel natural to me. It just felt like they were like, okay, here's these two good looking people. We'll have them give each other massages and then they'll fall in love. And now they're a couple. Enjoy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I would have just liked oh, well. to see more um, stories where they're mutually supporting each other um yes instead of just it yeah i I mean i think when that did happen it was quite nice and you could see the potential um but often it was like she's off doing something that he's slightly resentful of or he's doing something and she's wondering like feeling you know guilty and what did i do wrong and um or you know it's it wasn't them like facing the same problem side by side most often, but when it was, that's when I could see it working. Yes, exactly. I would have liked to have seen more of that. They rarely compromised with each other. You know, he tried to change her and she got frustrated, which I mean, valid reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it didn't, it didn't seem long-term to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they found out they had a surprise baby. Oh, that changes everything. <laughs> Babies fix relationships, apparently. What was the point of that storyline? Sads? Xenophobia? Like, I mean, I think, um, you know, the actors do a really good job. And, like, Jolene Blaylock, it, that is, like, it's really hard not to feel really emotional in um, that um you know, her dealing with that. Um, but, you know, actually, I really like that little um, xenophobia sort of arc. Um, and some of the dialogue from the, like, extremists is 
eerily well done compared to stuff we hear today. But the like, you know, let's create an alien baby thing um, seemed to me the least successful and believable part of that. Let's create an alien baby sounds like a really weird game show. <laughs> so we'd have Troy on that, right? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Troop would be on it twice. Oh yes. That's true. But <laughs> I also don't understand the point of it seems Vulcan and human DNA just can't mix. Oh, wait, no, they messed up. They totally can. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, because the audience knows. The audience yeah, has presumably. heard of Spock, presumably. Right. Yeah. Of course they can. But is that just to to like have them have this ability to take comfort in the fact that they could have a baby if they wanted to i guess yeah maybe hmm even though they're supposedly not together at that point right it's been it's been it's been a, a long hard road by that point <laughs> <laughs> were the writers going to have them get back together if they hadn't canceled the show does anyone know i have no idea i don't know I'm so sad it ended when it did. I really feel like in the fourth season, it was starting to finally find its legs. And it's really too bad yeah. it didn't have more seasons. Yeah, I agree. Yep. So I want to briefly touch on the, the Kirshara arc. Yes. Um, when when the Vulcans find their true Vulcan orthodoxy or whatever. <laughs> but I think the, the arc is very interesting for T'Pol because she has never really been all in with the Vulcan High Command, at least that we have seen, you know, since we've known her. But she doesn't really believe the Cyrenites either, so it's a bit of a surprise for her to find out her mom is one. Uh, but then she is roped into this mission and this this goal to to find the original writings of Sirach, and they do, and all of a sudden, even before the end of the arc, she's telling people, I'm a Cyrenite, we don't lie. <laughs> Way to be all in there. <laughs> I have no proof of this, but my own personal theory is that this this three episode arc is meant to address some of the criticism that the show got about these Vulcans not being the Vulcans that we're used to. And I think this is trying to to show the audience, you know, you're right, but here's how they get to where they are when you know them. This is how they get to Spock and Tuvok. Um, I don't know. It's interesting for her to be at the forefront, I guess, of what one could call a spiritual or religious revolution of her society. Yeah, that's interesting. And I don't know. I never I know a lot of people were bothered by how the Vulcans were portrayed in Enterprise. And it bothered me initially, but then it didn't. Um, I think it just shows how they grew as a, as a society. And uh you get to see that later since Enterprise is a prequel. But if you look at Deep Space Nine, how a lot of changes were made towards the end when uh, Brom became the new Grand Nagus. So that was the beginning of a change in, in Ferengi society. So to me, the way the Vulcans were portrayed, I, I personally wasn't bothered by it. I thought it was interesting to see how they grew. And to Paul, how she played a part in that, too. I really liked seeing that she was there at the beginning as they were changing and growing as a society. And she, as a character, gets to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, she gets to be part of her species arc, not just character <laughs> arc. True, yes. <laughs> we also saw her 
from the very beginning sort of struggling with repressing her emotions. Um, one of the first stories we get that actually gives us insight to her character is like wandering into this jazz club. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then we have her storyline with the Trellium D, which is, um, brief recap. They, they stumble across her old ship inside this Trellium D, like asteroid field, and they have all, uh, sort of disconnected and they're, they're having fits of rage. And it turns out that this substance prevents or, or affects the part of the brain for Vulcans that helps them repress their emotions. And then she starts to Paul. Uh, starts injecting herself with it and becomes addicted to it. Yeah, like I said, they used to Paul for a lot of, as a vehicle for a lot of very special topics. Yeah. And also, can I just say, jazz club? Weird way to be rebelling. <laughs> I mean, for a Vulcan. I mean, what is, is she like a, a white lady from upstate New York in the 1930s going to a jazz club? <laughs> I mean, she is spending all her time with Saval at that yeah. point. <laughs> well, we did get, uh, specifically on this topic, we got a comment from Polly on Facebook. Polly is also the host of Sober Trek on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. Hey, guys. Uh, all the shout outs today. Um, but Polly wrote, how to Paul handled her PTSD and addiction were some of the strongest storylines for me and Enterprise. But of course, it was because it was so personal to me. I think her portrayal of the character was pretty great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, like, Star Trek um, in previous iterations has occasionally tried to deal with addiction and not often super successfully. Um, Like, you know, I feel weird, but also good. Um, Or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Wesley uh, asking Tasha, like, why would people do drugs? And um, I do feel like... yeah. It is more helpful to have it located in a main character and to have to see them working through it and and probably still could be improved upon. But um, I think that that is positive and I think it's an issue that still, you know, definitely bears exploring. Yeah, definitely. Any more thoughts on this storyline? Um, how did everyone feel about um, Impulse? Uh, just w- not looking at it through so much of a critical eye for me. I loved it. Just um it just had this feel of like a fun zombie movie, but um, I'm curious like how all of you felt about it and how to Paul's role was in it. Um, do you, I, when I saw it initially, right, like right at the beginning when she was uh, freaking out, that was kind of scary. And I, I, mm-hmm. I thought, Oh no, is this going to be another one of those? Something bad happens to, to Paul episodes and we learn a lesson. Um, so that that was kind of my beginning, but then I got caught up in the plot. I loved it. Um, but did anyone else feel that way? I think this might have actually been my first episode of Enterprise I ever saw because I remembered seeing like the ads for it and the whole sort of them playing up the kind of horror movie aspect of it. And it was like, yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> so this was my introduction uh, to Enterprise, actually. Oh, cool. And I did like their sort of take on the the scary movie aspect of the plot. I appreciated that. And I appreciate how also with the ending, we get kind of the, oh, what is it? The, the Friday the 13th fake out of, oh, but it's never really over for her, is it? Oh, like at, like <laughs> the end of uh, the first season of Stranger Things. I like or the end of Carrie, yeah. That, oh, yeah. It's, it's never going to be good. You're never going to be totally right after that. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate that that's kind of a recurring thing with T'Pol that there is ongoing, 
there's a traumatic experience and then there's the ongoing trauma that you live with after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have another Brandon Braga quote. Oh boy. He said about this, the addiction storyline, uh, she thought she'd found a way to perhaps access those long repressed emotions and enter a different state of mind. And she got into trouble. To me, that's what makes interesting character drama, that characters make mistakes. That is true, but I feel like when you, um, this is so complicated because when you get into the complicated media legacy of addiction and how it's portrayed, to just call it a mistake feels like you're disregarding a lot of important aspects that should be brought up when talking um, about addiction as it is, as a disease, as a condition, as something that you could be predisposed to. And just writing it off as a, as a mistake feels... Um, it's irresponsible. Reductive. Yeah, um, reductive. Yeah. It, definitely. it individualizes the problem and lets people write off individual people with addiction yeah. instead of recognizing like it's a disease and there are also social aspects. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. That said, uh, characters that make mistakes are more interesting than perfect characters. Very true. But uh, definitely not the best phrasing there. No. Or the best approach, I don't think. No. Well, noting just for for fairness's sake, that is um, a star a quote from Star Trek Communicator. So it is contemporary to the time the episode was airing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe that would be phrased a little bit differently today. Maybe not. Who knows? But, I mean, we can hope. Yeah. Um, we do know, of course, that Jolene Blaylock was pretty outspoken with her criticisms of Enterprise, especially in its third season. Uh, some of the other cast members have been as well. And uh, going so far as to accuse the producers of being out of touch with the fan base. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. And, um... Interesting. Yes. Uh, she she even called, I think this is my favorite part because I think a lot of fans would agree, uh, she called the uh, series finale of Enterprise appalling. <laughs> appalling or t'appalling? Oh, you beat uh, me to it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to. Um, it's pretty great. Just one more because I can't resist. Uh, in response to her criticisms, executive producer Brandon Braga said, she, quote, might be overreacting a bit. Oh, that's like a man's go-to line. Yeah. That just sums it all she up. She being hysterical. Movie. That's the real problem here. He's overreacting. It's not that bad. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much. There's so much to talk about with T'Pol because there's so many issues that this character goes through. There's so many controversies around this character. Um. I mean, like we do, we go back and we look at individual episodes specifically. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe the the Trellium D arc with with Impulse will would be one to take a closer look at in the near future. But uh, as we begin to wrap up this episode, I do want to share another listener comment uh, from Facebook. I believe. This name is pronounced Kaya, and if I'm incorrect, I apologize. Uh, but Kaya writes, I think her character shows that one can be open to new experiences and ideas without compromising one's own values or sense of self. 
Through her interactions with her crewmates, T'Pol illustrates how one can grow as a person without succumbing to external social pressures about what a woman or a Vulcan is or how she should behave in any given social environment. That's a nice way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, it really I is. Like, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a, a great summary of this character because even though she has been through a ton and even though her crewmates can gang up on her at times or tell her to loosen up or be more human. Or smell. They just smell really bad to her. I think that she retains who she is. Like, she doesn't really stray from that. Uh, she has issues that cause maybe some some veering off her path, but she ha- also has an, an integrity that that she, I don't think, ever really loses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's the character at her best summed up right there. Is there anything that anybody wanted to bring up that we did not touch on today? I like when they let her look more alien as the series progresses. Like, give her bigger ears and more pointy eyebrows. Because they were like, oh, we'll try and downplay the sexy, the alien part of the sexy alien. But it's like, no, let her be an alien. Really? I thought that she was, they were making her look more feminine. Really? Yeah, like, I feel like her hair gets lighter and fluffier, and her cat suits get more colorful. Like, she gets the baby blue and the pink velour. Yeah, but her eyebrows get more intense. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and still, so it, it reminded me of Olivia Benson in the first, like, four series of, or seasons of SVU. Oh, no. Or Rachel Maddow in the first couple seasons of her show when they're just globbing makeup on her. Yeah, or like Kira in DS9, where she goes from like mil- looking like military kind of butch to. Um... <laughs> but I just like that she got to have more Vulcan eyebrows because. Yeah. So maybe they they sharpened her facial features, but they softened her uniform. Maybe that perhaps? was the visual compromise there. <laughs> well, Carrie, were you going to say something? Oh, I remember now. Um, no, I was going to say, I think if uh, CBS All Access ever decides to do um, an Enterprise reboot, I think Scott Bakula is all tied up with uh, one of the CSI shows. So they could have uh, Star Trek to Paul. Yeah. Yay! To Paul and ass. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I think that about does it for us today. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us to talk about T'Pol. If people want to find you on the internet, where should they go? I'm on Twitter. I have two different accounts you can follow. The one is Care Bear Lib, K-E-R-R-B-E-A-R-L-I-B. And I also have a Spanish language Twitter. I don't use it as much, but uh, you're welcome to follow me. It's uh, pronounced Karitrek, K-A-R-I-T-R-E-K. And on Facebook, I also have a group called Trekkie Librarians. Um, I'm a librarian. And anyone's welcome to join. You don't have to be a librarian. As long as you're a supporter of libraries, you are welcome to come join the fun with us. Bueno. Awesome. <laughs> and, and Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, and you can find me to Paul out of love. I'm so lost without you. I'm done. <laughs> oh <my> Jara, <laughs> you can find me at TrekkieFeminist.com or on Twitter at Jara Penguin. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S P A L T O R. Uh, to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com and check out our blog at womenatwarp.com. 
And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And that's to Paul, folks. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.